I don't think I've ever talked to a person who didn't feel in one way or another that patience was a virtue they needed more of. Maybe you have. Maybe you know somebody who felt, felt like they were <laughs> kind of had arrived in terms of patience. But it seems like a very common request in a variety of situations. But for many of us, our need for patience is often connected to things like annoyance or frustration. Think about it. Here's some examples. Driving behind that obnoxiously slow driver, right? <laughs> and then God convicts you like as you're like, oh, like muttering under your breath or hitting the steering wheel or putting your hands up in the air or, or doing what, hopefully you're not doing anything too aggressive, but maybe you're convicted of, man, I just need to calm down. I need, I need patience, God, please help me. Or maybe you're working alongside that new coworker who's more interested in her phone than the job. Maybe you're waiting for an online order that's been delayed and you're telling yourself, patience, Bryce, patience. Or maybe, most famous of all, we think about patients standing in line at the DMV. Ever been there? Yeah. But when James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes about having patience, he wasn't speaking about patience in annoying times. He was writing about patience in painful times. He wasn't talking about, he was talking about steadfastness in the face of suffering. That's just another way to express it. Steadfastness in the face of suffering. And since all of us have experienced or are experiencing or will experience painful times, it makes sense that we think together this morning and that we are encouraged by and that we commit, each of us, to encouraging one another in light of what James has written here concerning patience. Where's here? We'll turn over, if you haven't already, to James chapter 5. Navigate there in your Bible app. Turn over to James chapter 5 in your Bible. There are hard copies in back. If you need to grab one of those, please do so. We'll have some of the text on the screen, but not the main text. Look with me at that main text, verses 7 through 11 of James chapter 5. Listen to how this writer, this inspired writer, so God's speaking to each of us, as he has for the last 2,000 years to his people, Listen to how this inspired writer encourages his readers. This is verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, those are our themes, suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets in the Old Testament who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed 
who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's stop there. Now, to understand something about this situation, we need to look at the context. We need to understand what exactly is happening with the readers to whom James is writing. How do we do that? Well, to understand something about this context, consider the word therefore in verse 7. You see it? Therefore. That word always points us which direction? Which direction? Backwards. It's always pointing us backward. So do this for me. Look over verses 1 through 6 of James 5. Just scan over verses 1 through 6. As you're doing that, you're going to see some key words and ideas pop out there. And what we, what we know, what's clear from verses 1 through 6, uh, is that the rich, sorry, rich and powerful landowners were taking advantage of poor laborers who worked in their fields. Verse 4, you can see it there. Their wages were being kept back by fraud. And sadly, as you see in verse 6, some of these impoverished workers had even died. In fact, the word is murdered. They had been murdered. Now, when we talk about James as the Proverbs of the New Testament, many times people don't know that this is what stands behind the book of James. It actually drives almost every section of the book. This situation and false teachers who were trying to take advantage of of the painful circumstances that the readers found themselves in and were trying to turn the church and the believers to ungodly, fleshly, worldly responses instead of the way of Christ. This is what is happening within the church, this awful kind of situation. But according to chapter 5, verse 4, look again at verse 4 of this chapter, the wonderful news is, the reassuring news is, God himself has heard the cries of those who were being hurt, those who were being treated unjustly, those who had lost a loved one. On this topic, having just read through this book, you can probably pick out signs of this underlying issue. Did you notice how often it speaks to the rich, the book of James? How often it speaks to the poor? How often it speaks to the relationship between the two groups? And remember what James chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 revealed about where the readers of the letter stood in this ugly situation. James says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Are they not the ones who drag you into courts? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5 are not a disconnected kind of random little prophetic denouncing of the rich. It is part of the threading of the entire book and the reader's situation. Why does the book begin with consider all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials? Why do they need wisdom given the situation that they're in? Ah, it's starting to make sense when you understand some of what's going on here. Though there were some rich individuals who came in among them and may have been part of the church, as the instructions in chapter 2 about showing partiality indicates, 
it seems most of the audience here, most of James' readers, were those who were suffering, who had suffered, they were suffering in one way or another at the hands of the rich and powerful. This is why they needed, verse 10, examples of suffering and patience. This is why James repeats words like patient, patience, steadfast, steadfastness, those, all those ideas. It's why he repeats them so often in this short passage that we just looked at. James was calling them to demonstrate patience in extremely painful times. So hopefully that's clear in terms of some of the patience we're asking for in our lives, right? Uh, annoyance, frustration, some of that. This is, quite a, this is quite a situation, a very heavy situation that they were going through. Now think about this. What would you do if you were suffering in this way? Put yourself back there. Put yourself in that situation. If your wages were being held back, if you were being dragged into court unjustly, if you were being verbally maligned, if maybe you couldn't feed your family, if a loved one had been murdered, what would you do? How would you respond? If there was really no legal recourse, because maybe no one cared, maybe because the judges had been bought off by the rich and powerful, there was influence there. If there really was no legal recourse, in what ways would you be tempted to handle this kind of hardship, this kind of injustice, this kind of persecution? Would you try to fight back using violence to rectify the situation? Some of the first readers of James probably did. Take a look. James reminds them in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Later on in chapter 3, he'll talk about ungod or demonic wisdom and how godly wisdom or the wisdom from above is open, peaceable, reasonable. And he talks again about factions and quarrels among them. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Maybe instead, if you were in this situation, you would be tempted to do something different. Maybe to try to cozy up or kiss up to the rich and powerful, hoping to win their favor. Some of the first readers of James probably did this. But James corrects them, as I mentioned before, he corrected them and instructs them in chapter 2, verse 1, to show no partiality. Do not flatter the rich, especially at the expense of the poor. Many in these kinds of situations would also be tempted to complain. Maybe pointing the finger at others in the faith family. Pointing at others in the community pointing the finger at others for stirring up trouble. You brought this upon us. You made this happen. You shouldn't have done this. Or maybe pointing the finger at leaders. You're not doing enough. This could be why James in verse 9 of our main passage specifically instructs them. What does he say? Do not grumble against one another. Right? Don't be complaining. Don't be embittered. Don't be pointing the finger at one another. 
Or maybe this financial adversity that they were facing would tempt you to greed. That is, like your rich persecutors, tempt you to look for and long for power through wealth. Do we see any hint of that in this book? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Some of James' readers were struggling in this way. Look what he says in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Even later on in the same chapter, he'll say, and some of you have these grand plans, don't you? You're going to travel here, there. You're going to make profit. It's all going to be solved by doing this or that. And you're not saying, if the Lord wills it, we will do this or that. There's the materialistic temptation in the midst of such an awful situation. You see, there are all these sorts of clues in this letter, clues that reveal something about the temptation these believers faced in the midst of such painful times. But what James provides in chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, our main text, is a godly path forward. How do followers of Christ respond to this horrible circumstance? How do they do that? And that godly path forward is the path of patience. Now, is that the counsel you would offer to someone who is suffering through such adversity, such affliction, such injustice? Would you sit down and put a hand on their shoulder and say, look, you just need to be patient. Wow, that at first struck me as like, That's probably not what I would say. (laughs) But it's exactly what James says. Be patient. And of course, James explains what he means by this. Why be patient? Why is that the godly path forward? Patience? Well, as is clear from these verses, what should inform this patience is the stunning reality that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming again. He's returning to this world. Where do we see that? We see that all over. Verse 7, Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The next verse, For the coming of the Lord is at hand. The next verse, verse 9. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You can't miss this. That's this emphasis. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, chapter 5, verse 4. It reassuringly affirms that the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of armies. That's what Lord of hosts means. The Lord of the heavenly forces. Wow. Talk about reassuring to know that. God knows, says James. God knows and God will act. Instead of wavering in faith or wandering toward worldliness, James calls them to wait. Wait. He's simply calling them to wait. To wait 
for God's resolution. Think about how the examples that are given here drive this point home. First, verse 7. What does the farmer do? He patiently waits for what is to come. He understands that there is a timing at work that is beyond his control. So he waits for what? For the precious fruit that will eventually come. Brothers and sisters, there is precious fruit coming. Do you believe that? There is satisfying, nourishing, precious fruit that is coming one day. Second example, verse 10. The prophets of the Old Testament often suffered because they faithfully spoke God's Word. It wasn't popular many times. They spoke it to kings, to rulers. They spoke it to the people. And it often wasn't popular. They often suffered because they faithfully spoke God's Word. But oftentimes, they also had to patiently wait for the fulfillment of that Word. The ministry of Jeremiah began, I think, in 627 B.C. And he railed against the people for their idolatry and their waywardness from God. And he talked about the coming judgment of God. Well, that judgment did not conclude until 586 B.C. Forty years later. And Jeremiah suffered a lot, didn't he? He was often abused, things taken from him, thrown in a cistern, thrown in prison. Such prophets, according to verse 11, were considered blessed. Those who remained steadfast, who waited. Third example for our encouragement, for the encouragement of James readers. Third, though maligned by his wife and pressed by his friends, verse 11, Job remained steadfast in the midst of his trials. And what eventually took place? The Lord eventually came to Job. The coming of the Lord. God showed up. Didn't he? And when that happened, Job experienced God's compassion and his mercy, those blessings, in a way that he never had before. What beautiful examples for us of what is to come. Why God says, wait. So I think we could say this. Take a look. The one who is patient with this kind of patience is the one who perseveres in godliness in painful times. What does patience look like? It looks like persevering in godliness, in Christ-likeness, in painful times. Well, why is that? Why is that, why is that person, how, how is this possible? Because he or she, having done what they could, he or she is waiting for God's resolution to their suffering. In your painful time right now, are you looking to God's resolution of that suffering? How God will resolve it? When He will resolve it? Yes, like the prophets mentioned in verse 10 here, this can mean waiting in faith for a present day fulfillment of God's Word. That you're trusting in a promise that God will bring it to pass when he chooses to do so. And it could be before the coming of Christ. 
His word could come to pass in that way. And you are waiting for God's resolution in that sense. But ultimately, it means waiting for that day. That day to come when Jesus will return addressing every wrong and rewarding every right. God's great resolution with a capital R. The Apostle Paul writes so beautifully and so powerfully about this very thing in Romans chapter 8. Take a look at this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Drop to verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved, you and I, we were saved in this hope. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we have hope, if we hope for what we do not yet see, we do what? We wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. Even more fitting, even more scalpel-specific for what James readers were going through, what they were experiencing, Paul would go on to write this in his letter to the Romans. He would say this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it, that is, patiently wait for what? The wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Romans 12.19 What does God's resolution look like? It can mean redemption like we saw in Romans 8. The redemption of our bodies. It can also mean the repaying of God to the wicked. The repaying that He will bring one day. We know justice in this world has been, is, and will continue to be meted out imperfectly. It will be. And we know that justice in this world only goes so far in addressing uh, the cosmic sense of grievance and injustice that really us, as, that we as sinners, the moral debt that we've accumulated. And that one day for the imperfect justice meted out in this world, delivered in this world, and for that weight of sinful that, that weight of guilt that hangs over humanity, we know that one day God will repay. That God will hand out perfect justice. This is where Paul, this is where James, this is where God for us this morning, this is how they're directing our thoughts. Calling us to wait. This kind of patience. It's no surprise then when we know this about the book of James, it's no surprise when we think about what he's telling them here in chapter 5 that we find this encouragement in the very first chapter of the book Chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when he or she has stood the test, he or she will receive the crown of life. 
I think that means to be crowned with life. We will be crowned with life one day. This crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. So, brothers and sisters, as I've tried to emphasize in this simple study, short study, the patience God has been teaching us about here this morning is not first that patience in bad traffic or patience with kids who are driving you nuts or patience waiting for that better position at work to open up or having patience with people who by your estimation just don't get it, whatever it is. It's not that patience. The patience to which James is pointing us is patience in painful times in those times of adversity when you and i are always tempted to react with worldliness and not with what we might call weightfulness that's not elmer Elmer fudd saying gratefulness (laughs) weightfulness right wait that we would wait on god for his resolution with patience so do this take a moment Take a moment, if you would, and think about painful circumstances that you are currently facing. Now, let me just say, it doesn't doesn't have to be that your family members are being murdered. I I understand that. (laughs) I don't think any of us are in that situation right now. Uh, Hopefully, you're not dealing with some kind of major work grievance or injustice going on in that way. Maybe you are. Maybe you have been drugged into court unjustly. I, I don't know. What I'm saying is it doesn't have to kind of rise to the level in this, this horrible situation that James, many of James' readers found themselves in. You may not be directly being persecuted for your faith, for example. The honorable name of Christ is not being blasphemed by people who are opposing you. These painful circumstances could look many different ways. Um, think about what Elder Steve shared, what he and Sidney had been through over just 20 years of the, the pain of seeing a child wayward, struggling, hurting, who could be gone from this world in, in a matter of moments given the environment, given the people, given the lifestyle, all of that stuff. That's a painful, trying time, isn't it? It's a, it's a trial. It can look many different ways. The question becomes, as we're thinking about this idea in your life, the painful trials that you are currently facing, thinking about the hard, thinking about the heavy circumstances that may be pressing you down, the things that keep you up at night. Think about this. Those things that are tempting you, what are they tempting you to do? They're tempting you to do anything but wait, aren't they? Those circumstances tempt you to do anything but wait. Tempting you to choose any resolution that can be affected ASAP. No matter how fleshly that resolution is. No matter how worldly that situation, that resolution is. That option is. Now, disciple of Jesus, with that in mind, listen again to what Jesus is saying to you with a hand on your shoulder. He's saying, be patient. Do you hear him this morning? He's saying, be patient. Be patient until my coming. 
established. I love that word. Establish. It means strengthen. It means to fix firm. It means to anchor your hearts. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Brothers, sisters, God knows and God will act. In your trial, in your heaviness, in your hurt, God knows and God will act. His Word tells us so and His Son made it so. We need to come back to Christ, don't we? His Word tells us so and His Son made it so. Listen to how the Apostle Peter describes Jesus patiently waiting for God's resolution. A path of patience that Jesus Christ walked that led directly to the cross. Look what it says. When Jesus was reviled, He did not revile in return. You see that? He was oppressed and persecuted, but He did not choose a worldly resolution. He did not choose a fleshly resolution. When He suffered, suffering and patience, James 5, suffering and patience, when Jesus suffered, He did not threaten. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God, James 1. He did not threaten, but what did He do? He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. What a prayer for us, isn't it? God, I entrust myself to You. You know, God, You know and You will act. You know what I'm going through. You know how I'm struggling, but I need to entrust myself to You. I need to give myself to You. I need to let You handle this. Let You bring Your resolution. And what, it, what does it say after, immediately after that? Verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds... Because of that cross, you have been healed, brother, sister. Did you hear that in First Peter 2? The patience of Jesus Christ in painful times led him straight to his death. Which begs the question, how far are you and I willing to go in this kind of faith? All the way to that end. But Jesus did this. <laughs> he followed that path. Trusting in His Father's resolution to the suffering. He knew God had a resolution to the path that He was on of suffering. He trusted in His Father's timing. Not His own timing. That at the right time, there would be precious fruit that came from all of this precious fruit, that there would be a harvest of resurrection life accomplished. The cross is the exclamation point on James 5.11. That the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And because that compassion and that mercy is available to us through the death of Christ, to you and to me, we also reap that harvest of new life. Isn't that wonderful? Wow, how reassuring. 
And that new life, in fact, through God's Spirit, ignites the flame of hope in our hearts. Sets it ablaze. Hope that this same Jesus will one day return with the final and the perfect resolution of God. That He is coming. And friends, the heart that is truly established in that fact of Christ coming, of Christ's finished work, giving us hope of what is to come, of God's resolution that is good and that is right, God's resolution that is better than any option this world is offering us in light of injustice and suffering, in light of corruption, in light of waywardness, in light of whatever it is you are under, whatever it is you are struggling, God's resolution is better. This is not just pie in the sky. This is not don't deal with your situations now. After all that you can do in godliness, after all you can do in wisdom, James chapter 1, the wisdom he generously gives to those who will pray and ask for wisdom, after all that you can do, in the end, you will have to trust that one day God will tie it all together. That God will bring resolution. That God will bring healing and wholeness that you are experiencing now in your life. It will extend and seep into every pore of this universe. To trust that, to believe that, gives us hope. And when you have that heart, when you are truly established in that belief, from that heart of faith, patience will flow into every situation in your life. Even in line at the DMV. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Let's give praise to God in light of these beautiful truths and how God has reminded us and taught us about patience this morning, patience in painful times.